0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today our guest is the mayor of the great city of Ogden, Mike Caldwell. And Maureen Sweeney connected us, and I'm so grateful to Maureen for making that connection. Mike, it's an honor to have you on the podcast today. How are you?
1: Christian, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on this. And as I mentioned in the preamble, this is such a a great thing that changed so many lives in our state and the state as a whole. It's just an honor to be on and I was excited all week to be able to talk to you about my experience
0: there. Wow. Well, that's a a high compliment uh, to be excited to come on to this uh, silly little podcast. But I appreciate you adding to the beautiful tapestry of memories that so many people have shared. And before we dive into all of those wonderful memories, though, I, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on these days in your city and the things that you're working on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on in the life of Mike Caldwell? Well,
1: as you mentioned in the open, I'm the, currently the mayor of Ogden City, um, and I found it really interesting, Maureen's uh, recollections of when I interviewed the first time. She said, well, it kind came of came in as this high energy kind of a ski bummy person and uh, I, I grew up in Ogden and I loved the fact that we had such immediate access to amazing resorts and outdoor recreation. I went to Weber State University. I would go to classes during the day. I'd ride my mountain bike over to the 27th Street bouldering field. and I just thought there's just no place like this where you can have access to you know, affordable housing, all these other things, but be in the mountains. You're at the base of the mountains here. I just thought this was a Mecca for somebody like me that liked to climb and ski. And, you know, as I've been saying for a long time, I've been passionately losing bike races for 30 plus years. I just thought this is the most amazing place to live, but Ogden had been in a tough spot for a long time. You know, uh, to give a little history on Ogden when the, trains were a big thing and everything happened on the transcontinental railroad. We were one of the biggest boom towns ever. We had more millionaires per capita in the early 1900s than any other city in the United States. And in the 1950s, the diesel engine came in and the highways came online and all of that evaporated. When I grew up in Ogden in the seventies and eighties, there were a lot of places you didn't go. It was a rough and tumble place It didn't have an identity. It didn't have a brand, and and th- that was that was kind of tough because it had such amazing access to all these great places. And um, when I got the job at SLOC, one of the things that blew me away was we had 106,000 people is what they expected, or what the count was. It's always an estimate. Um, downtown to see the Olympic torch come through three days before the game started. And for me, that was transformational because you didn't come downtown in the early 90s and 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 as the torch came through a lot of the storefronts were vacant and abandoned and there wasn't a lot going on but to have 106,000 people downtown when it was maybe what five degrees we can agree those days before opening ceremonies were absolutely frigid and it just re-inspired Me for um, you know where I grew up, the community that we lived in, the access to resources and uh, amazing natural environments. I just loved seeing that energy in my hometown, in the downtown corridor of my hometown. It really was inspiring for me, and so I'm sure we'll get a chance to get into it later and how I got back to Ogden and, and what happened as a result of the games, a direct result of the games, but for me to be mayor up here now and having a reputation nationally as one of the outdoor meccas and we've had all of these outdoor industry companies move here to put roots here because of that immediate access to the outdoors it's been amazingly gratifying for me but i felt that way on the state as well like we have such an amazingly beautiful state it's so well organized so much diversity and things to go see and do that how could all of these international people that have always thought of Utah as a flyover, not land at the airport and realize, Holy cow, this is unbelievable what you can do and what you can access. And, you know, having every venue within 45 minutes of each other, that's never happened in an Olympic games before. And I thought it put us on a whole different international stage and people realized how friendly the people were, how, Great it was to get around how our street systems in this grid were all so easy to navigate. It just it just highlighted everything that I felt in my heart about the state of Utah. The Olympics brought the big, you know, the big cameras and microscope in and people left feeling you know, really overwhelmed at how unique it is.
0: Wow. Well, that's fantastic. I have to say last week, my wife and I went through Ogden. We drove up uh, the Canyon. We went to Huntsville, just taking a look at the leaves, swung over to Snow Basin. Uh, It was absolutely gorgeous up there. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. And you're right. The city has transformed. I come from another town in Salt Lake or in the state of Utah, I should say uh, Magna, which is another town that has kind of suffered a little bit uh, over the years. And and so I kind of understand where that comes from. Why don't you give us a little sense of where the community is now, the city of Ogden, and the vision for the future of Ogden?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I'm proud of is the a, a number of the national media groups that have come in and given Ogden a lot of attention. We're um, con- consistently ranked in Forbes magazine as one of the best places to raise a family, start a business. Um, start a career. We were recognized just this year from EDC Utah as the uh, public sector group um, for economic development. And what we've done, we're the job creation center for Northern Utah. It's a really different community than it was a number of years ago. And I think a lot of that is because of the, the lifestyle component that comes with living up here. You're not dealing with traffic from LA. You're not dealing with, you know, it, it, it's really unique. I can walk. Uh, we've done a lot in terms of investment in our natural resources. Where I'm at at city hall, it's 25 minutes to buckle ski boots at, at snow basin. Um, when I worked for the County for a long time, that was part of my daily routine. I could sneak out and go get in a half dozen runs and be back before anybody knew I was gone uh, as mayor. I can't do that as easily as I used to. But we also put uh, many millions of dollars into a river that is the Ogden River. We have two rivers that converge in our downtown. Um, Both of them are five to ten minutes from my office here. I could be fly fishing on a blue ribbon fishery down there. I mean, it's a really unique spot. One of the things I love about Ogden, though, is, is that it's really authentic and that all of the restaurants we have on 25th street and in our downtown for the most part are not chains they are all independently owned and operated and that's resonated with visitors as they've wanted to come have a unique ski experience you can go to any of the Vale resorts anywhere in the United States of America and kind of have a similar experience you can come to Ogden and have an entirely different experience you look at the resorts we have with uh Powder Mountains, a really unique backcountry-like experience. Snow Basin has some of the best lodges and gondolas and lifts anywhere. Nordic Valley's a nice family experience. Whisper Ridge is almost 100,000 acres of, of cat access, back skiing opportunities. I mean, you really do have a unique Western experience when you come to Ogden. And we've been very successful in promoting that. And that that resonates to me. So it's an easy sales pitch when we go talk to people about, why here? And well, I'll tell you why I choose to live here and why it matters to me a a lot. And I think it's been fun. And that has really resonated with people leaving major metropolitan areas and wanting an authentic mountain experience and an opportunity to take their kids up, to go hike, to ride a mountain bike, to ski, to fish, to do anything you want. It's all really easy to access here and Cost of living's not crazy yet. I don't know if that'll be the case in Utah for much longer, but
0: it's still the case here. And that's something we're really proud of. Well, yes, the cost of living is rising around the state uh, here in Sandy, where I live. It's it's crazy. And our friends up in Park City, uh, it's extremely expensive to live out there now. But Ogden is still quite reasonable. One of the things that you mentioned, and just probably my last question before we dive into Salt Lake, 2002. One of the things you mentioned is the, the restaurants, right? Restaurants, a lot of independent eateries there, small uh, family-owned uh, businesses. The virus has come through. It's impacted everybody. What's the situation there? And how is the city helping uh, people cope with the whole pandemic?
1: Well, that's a great question. And, and we've actually been really lucky up here. Our restaurant tax is only down 3%, uh, which I expected that to be far greater. Um, we have a lot of outdoor patios where people can sit and, and uh, elbow room for people to move around. But it has been devastating for all these independently owned businesses. I'm sure it's the same in Park City and Salt Lake. We haven't been as adversely affected up here. Our numbers, uh, I read when um, Utah County was pushing 400 and Salt Lake County was pushing over three, we were at about 30 so there's enough space up here to give yourself some elbow room and, and to move around we did a big push with the um, you know the drive up we closed 25th street down so all those restaurants could have drive up you could call in order your takeout did a big push to at least tip 25% to all of those people that are working and bringing your meals out it, it's uh, really important that we have that ecosystem of small businesses and people here that support it. You know, we used to not have people that came downtown at all. And for the last couple of years, we had one of the most successful Twilight series anywhere. And people kept saying, how do you book all these people We'd sell our 7,000 person amphitheater out for all 10 of the Twilight events that we had? And I think the games are a big part of kicking off this resurgence to come to a downtown where you have an arts district and a restaurant district and a place with a heartbeat instead of just a big, massive conglomeration of buildings and everything else. And people have really missed that in Ogden in the last, you know, six months. It's been uh, it's been tough for everybody.
0: Congratulations on really, minimizing the spread of COVID up north there in Ogden compared to us folks down here in Salt Lake or in down in Utah counties, we look to you. And speaking of the Salt Lake 2002 games being an inflection point for Ogden, as you mentioned, it was also an inflection point for you. So let's talk about before that inflection point occurred. You mentioned that you're an Ogden native, you grew up there, you attended Weber State University, you skied there and enjoyed all of the outdoors. How did you find your way to the organizing committee?
1: So it's, uh, it's kind of a funny story. When the uh, Olympic bid was going forward, I kind of got wrapped up a little bit into the, oh, no. I mean, these are my secret fishing places, my powder shots. I don't want the world knowing about that. And so I was kind of on the fence about whether I thought the Olympics would be great for the state or not. And that was a couple years in front of it. But as I started to learn more and look at it more and get more excited about it, I've been a ski guy, a bike guy, an outdoor sports guy my entire life. And the more it started to work together and I got to see what people were doing, I thought this is going to be an amazing experience for Utah. And I don't want to have been a lifelong Utah and not have participated in this and so i started my own personal campaign i was doing internet sales and a number of other things that i didn't love i wasn't passionate about but i had a wife and a, a young daughter at the time and i had to had to work and had to put food on the table but i started emailing everybody i knew that had any kind of contact with the salt lake organizing committee saying and it was probably a four or five month process before i finally got an interview with maureen at the time but one of my good friends worked on the floor with Maureen right next to her group and I pinged her and she used to do political campaigns and a number of other things and she forwarded my resume to Maureen and um, when I interviewed with Maureen uh, I think I was one of the later people to come into her group and uh, she said I have the ice sheet venue that's open for you and I don't know if that's something you'd be interested in or not and I said Maureen if you tell me to do janitorial work and change garbages, my promise to you is I will do that with tremendous enthusiasm. My point is I do not want this amazing event to come through the state and me to have not participated on some level. And I don't know if it was that comment or what, but in her comment, she said, you know, I had a lot of energy. I was really excited, but I was, I had a ton of energy when I got, the interview, I was all in for the games and what it was going to do for our state. And I I loved every minute of it.
0: So give us a little sense of the timing, Mike. Uh, When was it that you had this interview with Maureen? When did you finally join the organizing committee? It was not quite a year out. Um, It it was actually under a year out.
1: And it it was uh, interesting for my home dynamics. I told you that I I had a young daughter at the time and, and, you know, we've been married for a while, but I had a lot of flexibility in my day job. So I I got to raise her and was spending a lot of time with my young daughter at the time. And as soon as the Olympics stopwatch started, I think I had two days off in six months and they were 14, 16 hour days every day for six months. And when I got done with the games, my (laughs) daughter was like, who are you and why are you here anymore? Because I just go home sleep and then go right back to work for the game so it was an interesting time for my young family and and but you know it was it it, everything you did it just felt like it mattered so much and having that hard timeline I came in right before September 11th in 2001 when the planes hit the trade center and Everything shifted. And so, all the security protocols and Magnum bags and how the venues work, everything got flipped on its head. So, it was an amount of intensity that I don't know that many of us have or will feel in the upcoming years. But I, you know, I kind of have ADHD. And so, having a lot of pressure really helped me focus in on that. And and it was this was mission-based. We knew we had to get all this done. And I, I thrive in those kind of environments. I like that. I like that kind of intensity where your work matters. And it was really, uh, it was a great fit for me. I, Maureen called me the fixer. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but It was really fun to go into some of those really intense environments and and get them worked out and get everybody on a team and, and figure out what we could do to make this the best experience for everyone.
0: Wow. Well, a couple of things I want to comment on there and also have a follow up question. So number one on the young family thing. It was an interesting dynamic in the organizing committee because there were a lot of young people. We had a fair amount of people that came in from out of town and they were kind of their own little family. And then we had a bunch of local people like you and me, uh, some with uh, families with small children. and, um, And so the dynamic was a little bit different. And it was hard on families. And if you ask my wife, her feelings about the games here in Salt Lake were a bit mixed. You know, she was extremely proud of Salt Lake and Utah and the games and everything and the work that we did. But at the same time, she wasn't extremely thrilled that I was gone so much, just like you were talking about not taking any time off, working really long days. And um, you know, it's it's stressful on a young family. So I appreciate you bringing that up. The point about the mission, I think is quite interesting uh, because You were right. Uh, This was the largest event in the world, the most visible event in the world. We were not going to delay it. So we had to deliver it no matter what. It it had to happen. And that was our mission. So what I want to ask you about uh, when it comes to looking at this as a mission, what was your role in this mission specifically? You mentioned working for Marine and working at the ice sheet, but what exactly were you doing?
1: So we managed that. I was one of the venue protocol people for international client services. So we took care of the IOC or any foreign dignitaries, international people. And as Maureen said, as the pressure for the game started to build up, they started to plug me into some different environments. So, you know, to give you a little before games background, I worked for a troubled youth hospital when I put myself through school and there were intense environments there. Kids wanted to scream and yell and do all kinds of stuff. And I was a big body. I'm 6'4, 225. And as the pressure mounted for the games, some of our other people um, it, it just did not suit them. And so Marine started plugging me into a lot of the higher profile venues because, you know, one of the things I heard was that in Sydney at the Aquatic Center, that was the games, the summer games before we had ours. A lot of the IOC members would would intimidate some of the volunteers or staff from the Sydney Organizing Committee. Some people got spat on and slapped and everything else, but I could stand guard at all of those venues and, and quietly talk people through, you know the protocol better than I do. I can't let you in with those credentials and here's why and da-da-da-da-da. So she just started to plug me into a lot of those higher pressure places, which which I loved that, you know, like I said, I kind of thrived in in that environment and I liked the mix of what we were doing. She put me at the meet and greet at the airport. So prior games, I had, I think four weeks of meet and greet. I had 400 volunteers I managed at the airport and we managed every single uh, arrival and made sure people got their bags and got to their hotels and everything else. And it was just a, a big, a big effort to schedule all of those volunteers and make sure that as people flew into Salt Lake International, they got a, a, a friendly face and welcome to Utah. And we gave them the right initial impression. And then when the game started, I obviously did the opening and closing ceremonies and then they had me at Snow Basin and I ended up taking over at what was at the time the Delta center where all the speed skating and figure skating went, which is its own, really interesting dynamic to watch what happened with the Russian judges and people screaming at each other in our area. And it was really, (laughs) I just got to see and have my hands in in just about everything interesting I felt during that time. And, and, uh, and I loved it. And, you know, one of the things I tried hard to do at Ogden that I tried hard to do at the games is to, when you're working with volunteers, it's different than working with staff. And so you need to find ways to motivate them and to listen to them and let them feel like they're doing something really important. And I, I enjoyed that part of, of the the job, just interacting with so many people and firing them up and and being a motivational person. Like this is so unique. Yeah. It's a long day today, but we'll look back at this and in, in however many years and just relish these experiences. I will tell you though, um, I have not worn a single mountain shadow shaded color since 2002. I got so tired of the same uniform for two and a half months. Um, That got a little bit old, but I loved working and interacting with the people and to see Utah come together with such amazing enthusiasm. One of the things that's resonated with me that I've talked about as we've done economic development up here and a number of other things was that Sydney said, you're going to have, the need for about 22,000 volunteers in the state of Utah. It'll take you about three years to do that. And I volunteered originally. Before I got the job, I was gonna volunteer, I was gonna get involved however I could. And they said, it'll take about three years to do that. And here's what you need to do, and here's how you get the community to come together and everything else. And in a year and a half, we had 88,000 applications from the state of Utah. Many people with different cultural experiences and language skills and everything else, PhDs from universities that just wanted to be a part of that two weeks. And I thought, that's an amazing testament to our state that in they say it's gonna take three years to put 22,000 volunteers together and in a year and a half get 88,000 applications. And that just, that just continues to feed my fire about why Utah is so unique and such a great, the best place in the world for the games.
0: Well, I will second that motion. I want to come back to these volunteers. You just said a lot of stuff there, a lot to unpack there. But about the volunteers, you mentioned that um, you needed to make sure that they were satisfied with their work, that they were motivated, that you could retain them, and they always felt a sense of fulfillment when they were doing their work. And they also were in situations where they might have to work with these important people, like you mentioned, the experience in Sydney. So what were some of the things that you did to give them the skills and experience and the motivation that they needed to be effective?
1: Well, I thought that SLOC did a good job of training the volunteers up, but before any venue opened we would always have meetings and walk through what people can and should expect and where they needed to be. We needed to be real clear with their expectations instead of just throwing them out there. Here, you're at the airport, go do X, Y, and Z. We tried to make sure that we had hands on them all the time that we, my job, what I did more than anything else was just to walk those venues and check in on everybody and like, Hey, how are you doing? How, you know, What did you see today? Anything that was really important to you. And I just wanted to make sure that everybody felt a touch from one of the staffers. I think when you're, like I mentioned at the airport, I had 400 volunteers at the airport. I had a couple of interns that were really good and would go around and do that. I can't hit every, uh, uh, every person, every ship. Cause they came in, internationally from around the world, but making sure that they all got a touch and they all felt appreciated and were part of the overall game's vision and package was really important to me. I mean, we had really smart people across the board, and if they came into a weird situation or environment, they can get through it. They can make figure out you know, a, a solution and, and work through that. If we had to make final decisions at the end of the day, that was fine. But we wanted them to feel really important, really know how grateful we were that they were participating in this Utah experience. And it wasn't SLOC. It was the state. We put a we tried to really embed a sense of loyalty for and and pride in being a Utah. And this is our games. We're all in this together. It's not this venue versus that venue and, and any competition. It was the whole vision of the games and how that needed to come together that I think people really bought into and and were passionate about.
0: Yeah. I think people still feel that way about the Olympics here, right? Uh, They do have a sense of ownership and pride, not only of the games that have occurred, but the venues that are still being used and the athletes that are being trained here that are competing in current Olympic games. And there's a still a huge amount of support here for the Olympic movement in the state of Utah. Now, I want to come back to, you know, you mentioned you were the fixer. or Marie mentioned that you were the fixer and that you were a a gentleman large in stature. Uh, So what were some of the interesting situations that you may have found yourself in or your team members may have found themselves in? And what were some of the creative ways you found to resolve those situations with our games family guests and others?
1: Well, you know, the number one out of the gates was the figure skating scandal with the judges and then they're having to award two gold medals and all kinds of things with that. And so those conversations couldn't happen in the competition area. So they always ended up happening up in where we had our IOC family seating area. We had a lounge and all of those. And what we did collectively as a staff is gave them space to work. Like that is not what we need to be managing. We're not going to get involved in any of that. We're going to provide a safe environment. We're going to keep the media out. We're going to do everything we can to give them the space they need to have conversations. That was probably one of the most unique that we had was that big blow up at the Delta Center at the time about the the figure skating and everything else. And um, interestingly enough, after the games, I came up and managed uh, the figure skating venue here, the Ice Sheet in, in Ogden, and I did find that figure uh, skaters have very strong personalities. Figure skaters and their moms, dads, coaches, and judges have very interesting personalities. So having watched that in Salt Lake um, during the, our games, during the 2002 games, and then having to manage it after, well, that was some good training and, and experience for me. What about the Paralympic Games? Were you involved in those as well? I was. Um, I did the same work through the Paralympic Games, and um, that was really inspiring. I mean, the Olympics comes with its own kind of, of shine and attention and everything else. But that was actually even more inspiring to me because you saw people overcome some enormous challenges to compete in the Paralympics. And I wasn't originally one of those that was slated. I was supposed to be done when the games were done but I was honored that they kept me on through the Paralympic games. And it actually gave me the opportunity uh, for what I've done in um, post games. So funny story about that. I was at the um, Paralympic closing ceremonies. And so for me, I'm, you know, i got a young daughter at home. We were just building a new house. I knew that 3000 of some of the best and brightest people I'd ever worked with were going to hit the job market the next day. And a guy with a big black cowboy hat came up to me at Paralympic closing ceremonies and said, hey, I've seen you around a lot of these places. Are, are you a local boy? And I said, well, yeah, Northern Utah. I went to Weber State. And he said, well, not something. My name's Commissioner Glenn Burton, and I'm one of the Weber County commissioners. And we're looking to hire somebody to come manage our Olympic venues when uh, all this is over. Is that something you might be interested in? And I just thought, this is just manna from heaven because I didn't have anything out. You know, like I mentioned, I had two days off and six months, didn't have a resume out. And so I wrote his name on my arm with a Sharpie and called him the next morning after my job was done. I was effectively unemployed at that point and they invited me up for an interview and I interviewed at Weber County and uh, took over their Olympic venues. and And one of the things I promised to do was that, look, the ice sheet is open from 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. We're not going to be able to pack a lot more activity into the off hours of that. But Ogden and Weber County has a great opportunity to do something with its Olympic legacy. And I will manage your ice sheet. I'll do that. Uh, I'll take care of it. We'll be very selective with our budgets and everything else. But we will build on that Olympic legacy here. We had... 2000 volunteers that were either on mountain snow basin or at the ice sheet, and people were desperate to see something happen next. And so had I not had the opportunity to work through the Paralympics, that random encounter with the Weber County Commissioner and a black cowboy hat wouldn't have happened and who knows where my life would be now.
0: As the movie, The Incredibles, shows when Dash gets called to the principal's office because he was putting text under the teacher's chair and the teacher looks at Dash and his mother and says, coincidence, I think not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was an incredible coincidence, or maybe not, maybe very serendipitous or maybe foreordained, who knows, but what a chance encounter by uh, – meeting there at the closing ceremony of the Paralympic Games with the commissioner.
1: It it was awesome for me. And, you know, I did that work for Weber County and uh, went out after outdoor companies and really worked to build that Olympic legacy. We have a group called the Goal Foundation. It started as the Greater Ogden Athletic Legacy, which was the volunteer database. And they allowed us to email them one time. But um, it, now it's a get out and live organization with about three thousand volunteers that support our marathon and the ex-terra National Championships, and we had the Dew Tour up here and a whole bunch of other events that we attract because of that volunteer base. And it was—it's been—it's totally re-energized and revitalized Ogden City, and and it was an honor to be a part of that. And that came right out of the games. People were so excited about what they saw and the inspirational stories and everything else that they wanted to stay involved and stay engaged. And I was a, a, in an honored position to be able to help drive that and create that. And and that's what, you know, I when that was kind of ending, we had a mayor at the time, Mayor Godfrey, that was really supportive of a lot of this. And um, when he was deciding it was time for him to move on, I had a whole bunch of community pressure to to run and I've never run for an office before. I had no idea what it was about. And I told them for years, no, I had no interest in it. I have The best quality of life ever. I can, I'm still getting 30 to 40 ski days in and I'm riding my mountain bike and helping raise these young daughters. But at the end of the day, uh, there were so many people that came up and said, look, you really do need to consider this. We need to keep pushing this legacy along and figure out a way to do that. Um, I, I and they said, uh, you have so much sweat equity into the rebuilding of this this push in, in northern Utah that if you don't and somebody comes in and doesn't recognize that, you'll forever regret that, that you didn't run and didn't continue to push. And so I kind of thought, well, at least I'll get into the debates and focus the energy, and then I'll get run over by the politicians and get my life back. But it didn't happen that way. That message resonated, and we got through. So. I'm eight and a half years in now, was just reelected to my third term up here, which is um, unprecedented for a lot of Utah. Most people only do one or two, but I'm
0: honored to have the support and it's been a great journey. Wow, well, congratulations on your tenure there as mayor. And I do have to ask, you, you just recently reiterated and emphasized once again, how the games changed the city of Ogden and you also talked about how the games were a changing, a life-changing experience for you. So, aside from moving on and doing this other work, you know, what were some of the things that you learned while you were working there in Salt Lake 2002 that helped you to effectively manage the venues and eventually run the city of Ogden? I think if you can articulate a shared vision on what needs to
1: happen, that really resonates with people. I remember my first day at Slack. I watched a video from Mitt Romney and uh, he talked about, uh, look, we're all not going to be able to look over each other's shoulders. You all need to take personal responsibility for every element of this, whether it's your area, your personal job, anything else. If you see a piece of trash in the parking lot, it's not to turn and look at whose job is it to pick this up? We are collectively responsible for this image we're going to create for the entire world. Pick it up, move on, and find a way to make a difference. And that resonated with me, and I found that with most of the people I worked with at SLOC. They all wanted to, that end goal, the mission was to have one of the most successful games we had ever seen and and the world had seen in terms of our organization and our community and how it reflected on what Utahns are about. And I totally saw that. And that's what I think I brought into. When I started the Gold Foundation, we wanted that same kind of passion for why people would show up. Why would you show up at three in the morning on a Saturday in May to watch a whole bunch of sweaty, stinky runners run the Ogden Marathon? It's because you get a chance to improve people's lives. And I felt like we got, all got a chance to do that with SLOC. And that, that passion for the mission uh, it was really something I hadn't seen anywhere. You know, I'd been in sales. I'd done a whole bunch of other things where you were pulling a commission at the end of the day. And that was your motivation. And it, I hadn't seen anything to that scale in terms of, this is reflective of all of us and let's all figure out a way to do this. And we all had our issues when we were there. Things kind of went haywire or South. You know, 9-11 was a great example of that. We had all these protocols set up and then the secret service came in and flipped it all on its head. And so we all had to be really flexible, not, not completely rooted in what we thought should or needed to happen, but here's your path forward. Let's figure out a way to get through it. Um, and, that that flexibility and and commitment to mission was something that i think um i've carried with me ever since and that's one of the things we've tried hard to do up here the mission is to improve our community improve our economic environment to improve x y and z it doesn't matter who gets the credit for it let's just make sure that the mission gets accomplished
0: Well, those are wonderful takeaways from your time in Salt Lake and the citizens of the great city of Ogden have benefited from the experience that you gained there. And I really appreciate you sharing all of these experiences with us today. Before we let you go, because I'm sure you're busy as mayor, we do have a few questions that we typically ask people when we wrap up our conversations. And the first of those questions has to deal with music. So when you were commuting to the wells fargo then american stores building in salt lake city or going from one venue to another or were you at competition was there music a song an artist that um whenever you hear them today it immediately takes your memory back to salt lake 2002
1: so uh, i heard marine's answer to this and i'm a little jealous that they had this concert at the athlete venue and i got no opportunity to participate in it but uh there are two bands that I really did love and, and listen to a lot. Um, Dave Matthews Band was one, but Cake was one of my all-time favorites. And there's a song called Going the Distance with Cake, where um, it's, it, it reminds me of bike racing. I did you know endurance racing. I've done a couple of Ironmans and some other things. But Going the Distance just kind of resonates with me because it's about... Locking down and just grinding, 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 grinding. And I felt like everybody at the games did that. That song always motivates me. It's on my gym playlist now that I listen to in the morning still, but that's one of my all time favorites. But I would have loved to have been able to be part of that one to 200 person crowd that got to listen to Cake play at the athlete venue that I heard, but I wasn't part of that. But Cake and the Dave Matthews band were two of my favorites that I
0: listened to a lot back then. All right, Kate, Going the Distance, a particular Dave Matthews song? Uh,
1: No, I mean, Dave Matthews is kind of a jam band, so each song can sound differently uh, regardless of of how it's played. I'll be honest, too. My wife and I, when we were young and dating, we went to a lot of dead shows, so I'd listen to um, Europe 72 and a lot of other dead CDs. You didn't have streaming music back then, so you just had to have a CD stuck in the CD player, which was a little bit different, but I, I've always, those those were kind of my go-tos when I'm just grinding away and I'm exhausted, but those would always lift me up.
0: All right, fantastic. Cake will put on there. Uh, Paul Florence also went to the Cake concert afterwards. He nominated Cake as well, so you're the third person, but none of them nominated the song Going the Distance, so we'll add that to our Spotify playlist and I'll throw a little Dave Matthews band on there as well. Let's uh, talk about restaurants. Was there a place that you liked to go eat when you were working there at the organizing committee?
1: We got to see a lot of them, but my go-to was, uh, well, my biggest go-to were the taco carts. I love the taco carts. Street tacos are one of my favorite things. And then we always had Gandalfal sandwiches. Those were always really good. But I would say I did more of my quick, need a, a quick meal, I'd go grab a couple of tacos and some roasted jalapenos and that would get me through the next few hours. So taco carts were my A number one. Uh, a number two would have been
0: Gandalf's sandwiches. <laughs> oh, I love me some good taquitos, some good street tacos. I'll take them any day of the week. That's yeah, That's And
1: I will say I agree with Maureen entirely that I got so tired of hot dogs and goldfish that I could not To this day, I still can barely eat a hot dog or my daughter loves goldfish. I'm like, nah, no, I'm out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Uh, Fantastic. We'll add uh, Gandalfos to the Spotify, not Spotify, but to my map. We've got a map on the website that's got all the restaurants uh, pinned that people have nominated. And hopefully once this COVID crisis abates, we can all go visit them again. Uh, But uh, we'll finish up with our final question for you today, Mike. And that is the deuce bump moment question. Uh, what's the memory that just gives you the chills every time you think about it?
1: You know, I thought about that a little bit and I had a, a whole host of different memories that were amazing, amazing people I met, uh, things that, you know, being a local kid from Ogden, like I'm having a conversation with this person right now. But the two most amazing yeah. memories that I thought cast this whole games was that we had, if you remember almost a three month inversion. We got no new snow. It was totally inverted. The air was terrible. It was really ugly. And the night before opening ceremonies, this amazing storm came through, dropped five or six inches, put Utah and Salt Lake city in this amazingly beautiful light covered up all of the winter's inversion and everything else. And it was crystal clear and gorgeous. And then the night of closing ceremonies, we were panicked because we knew a huge storm was rolling through, big winds, everything else. You had all the props, all the TV and everything else. And we didn't get one bit of wind until the closing ceremonies wrapped. And within about 10 minutes of wrap, we had 40, 50 mile an hour winds that blew everything out of the stadium. I just thought those two natural things that we had zero control over, were goosebump moments and that these were blessed games and we were so lucky and the timing was so amazing for Utah to host this post 9-11 and everything else. But you could not have scripted more perfect weather for that game's window with that storm coming in before blowing all the inversion out, dropping a beautiful blanket of white snow. And then the games went, and then that big storm that came and held off until we wrapped, and then boom, it was totally upon us. And I just thought this could not have been it, 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 any better. I mean, that was just—we're so grateful and so thankful that it all happened like it did. And the world saw it. it was amazing. Those those two those natural environments that that could have gone so south on us, I just thought was was you know an act of grace that that kind of a game's needed to happen and come off like it did. So that was my biggest goosebump moment because a lot of other things you can, and can't control, but the weather
0: you can't. And I just thought that was the blessing. It was a tremendous blessing. And I really appreciate you sharing that. I felt the same way. I do have to say that our Paralympic ceremonies, the opening ceremonies, they did not benefit from that blessing. It poured rain, but uh, I have to say the people that, perform the cast and the, the artists that performed during the Paralympic opening ceremonies were spectacular. And my favorite was watching Stevie Wonder sitting out there in the driving rain for 45 minutes, playing his heart out uh, in that ceremony. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So these are fantastic memories, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. If listeners want to connect with you, they want to learn more about what's going on in the city of Ogden, where that city is headed, how they could get involved in various activities in the city, or they just want to reconnect with you uh, to share memories of the 2002 games, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Mayor at
0: OgdenCity.com is my email address, and
1: I read through all of those. And it would honestly be fun to do that in the last six months. My inbox is filled up with why aren't you mandating masks and why are you wrecking our economy and <laughs> everything else? So it'd be fun to reconnect with some friends and, and uh, uh, they're always welcome to contact me at uh, mayor at Ogden
0: I'll read through all of them and and respond to every one of them I can. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for reminding us as a community, what we can do when we pull together to follow that mission like you were talking about. I really appreciate that. Oh, no, it's
1: been fun to talk about and reminisce about some of those things we saw and did so many years ago as this bunch of young kids that for a lot of us made it up as we went. And, and uh, I think it, it was a, a phenomenal experience and I look forward to hopefully having another one in 2030.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. It would be a great way to kind of go out, you know, yeah. the, the swan song. So I agree. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mike. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Mike, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Christian.